Welcome to the Make an After School Cool podcast, the link between research, practice, and theory for those interested in the activities youth are involved with during non-school hours. The Make an After School Cool podcast is produced by Case for Kids, the division of Harris County Department of Education, and I'm your host, Mike Wilson. Today we are going to be discussing a resource for students when they're at school and are experiencing severe anxiety, depression, or extreme negative emotional outbursts. A few suggestions from the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, better known as the CDC, states that schools can use a variety of strategies to help students improve their emotional well-being and connectedness with others. For example, providing activities that emphasize social and emotional competencies. Schools can also create safe, inclusive learning environments for all young people. Schools may also establish a culture that emphasizes the importance of showing empathy in relationships and using effective communication skills and demonstrating respect for diversity. To discuss how a young audience of Houston is working with schools and OST professionals to make safe spaces for students with an emphasis on social-emotional learning is my guest, Dr. Christine Fairs. Prior to joining young audiences, Christine has worked as an educator in public and independent schools, an educating consultant, and with the Metropolitan Opera Guild. She also has experience as an opera singer and has performed with the Miami Music Festival, Rockwell Symphony, UNT Opera, Lamar Opera, and the Institute for Young Dramatic Voices. Christine holds both undergraduate and graduate degrees in music and education and a doctorate in education. Dr. Fairs has published research, including a study on classroom management and gender, with additional research on the impact of music education on Texas standardized test scores. She is the recipient of the Harris County Department of Education Spirit of Excellence Award as a Community Connections Champion and recently served as a panelist on Pathways for Diversifying Teaching Artist Networks at the Arts and Action Conference. Christine also serves as a grant panelist for Texas Commission on the Arts and Houston Arts Alliance. She also volunteers on the Scholarship Review Committee with the Greater Houston Community Foundation. Christine, how are you doing today? I'm great, Mike. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for taking some time out to uh, meet with me and discuss this initiative that I have with young audience. It's great to be here. First, I'd like to start off with some background information regarding young audiences, the organization's purpose, and the types of services you guys provide. Sure. So Young Audiences is an arts and education-based nonprofit here in Houston. We've been here in the Houston area for 66 years now. We're part of a national affiliate, so there are 36 chapters across the U.S. Um, and we focus on providing arts education services to EC through 12th grade youth here in the Houston area. And so we have three main areas of focus. One is our workshops and residencies. Those are those hands-on classes 
We have assembly performances, which are touring arts and culture educational shows where we come out to, to sites and put on shows. And our third area is professional development for educators. We have a teaching artist roster of 184 teaching artists. And right now we're currently um, in, a, in a little over 200 sites in the area, just um, providing classes and teaching and performing um, for the youth of Houston. And so um, our main focus is, is bringing arts and education to at-risk youth. And we work in a lot of underserved and under-resourced areas. So how long have you been with the agency and what's your favorite part of your job? Everything. <laughs> Everything <laughs> is my favorite. And this will be three years for me as um, the program director at Young Audiences. And really one of my favorite parts is when I get to leave my desk in the computer screen and go out to to the schools and to our sites and to our community partners and see youth experiencing arts and education. Um, one of my most favorite things we do is arts integration where we're putting an arts lens on an academic subject. And recently I was in a ninth grade math classroom, a geometry classroom, and the students were really struggling to learn about obtuse angles. And the teacher had tried all types of approaches. And so they brought us in to do some arts integration work. And we came in with a theater teaching artist and they did a physical kinesthetic roller coaster where they were putting the obtuse angles into their bodies. And they had those memorized in like 15 minutes and they were having so much fun. And it was just a mode of differentiation they had never experienced. And it just made them very, very comfortable with learning. And so that's one of my favorite parts of my job where I get to go out um, to the campuses, to the schools and sites and see the impact that arts education has on children directly. And that's, it's amazing to see. Well, it's, it's great that y'all are providing, you know, this service. Unfortunately, I know when a lot of school district budgets are cut or limited, arts, unfortunately, is one of the areas that they tend to trim. And so just having a resource in the Houston area that can uh, enhance some services that, that may not be available during the school day, I think is, is a great, a great initiative. Um, and also, I heard about a new project Young Audiences is, is doing. It's taking a proactive approach concerning the students' emotional and mental needs. Can you tell us about the self-care lab and um, uh, how it actually works? Sure. So the self-care lab is a brand new initiative uh, this year for us at Young Audiences. We have always had social and emotional learning classes, um, workshops and residencies, and the self-care lab just takes that um, takes that a little bit more in depth where we're actually um, designating a physical space on campus or on site location to be this inclusive haven for social and emotional learning. And so the self-care lab program is where we um, where we come to campus, we take over a space, we recreate, revamp that space. It's very zen, very calming. I could live in one of those rooms. <laughs> um, and then we just have a physical presence on campus for SEL programming. So um, this is our first year to do that. It's our pilot year. Um, it's really uh, taking off and, and we're just really excited about it. And so if I'm a school or if I provide after school services, can you describe the steps for establish establishing a self-care lab? Sure, sure. So we begin with a needs assessment. Um, I just had one this morning. Um, and so in that needs assessment, we meet with school staff personnel, whether or not that's the principal or the counselor or the wraparound specialist. And we just discuss um, what the needs are on campus. What are your student needs? What are the areas that you'd like to see them grow in social emotional learning? Um, do they 
need to work on um, their own mental health? Do they need to work on peer relationships? Um, what What are those things that they that you'd like to see them accomplish and grow in? So we start with a needs assessment um, where we just learn more about it. We talk about um, do you have a physical space on campus that is available for us to use? And we start there uh, with curating that physical space. The students are a process. Um, are a part of the process of curating the physical space from meeting with the artist to designing to painting to helping us pick out the furniture to deciding what color the carpets are. The entire school community is part of that process. And so we, we start there. We start with the needs assessment. We map out some planning. Um, of course, we talk budget. Um, sometimes uh, we're able to grant fund these self-care labs. We do have financial assistance forms. And so if we have grant funding. We can grant fund the labs. Um, because everything we do is TEKS-based um, and based in curriculum. Schools can also utilize their ESSER funds, their title funds, their TEA funds. So we talk budget and how to get those costs covered, whether or not the school can or we can. Um, and then once we discuss those things and we get the ball rolling on the design, um, after that, the next part is implementing those actual SEL-based learning classes. Um, we curate that based on the school's needs. So some schools like us to come two or three times a week for a couple of hours a day and they set up rotating schedules. Other schools like a more freestanding space um, where maybe one day a week the room is open and it, the programming is ready. And so instead of writing up a, a kid with a referral, um, they send them to the self-care lab. Really, the program comes down to what works best for the school based off that needs assessment. So each self-care lab looks a little different, but at the end of the day, they're all physical spaces. They're all dedicated to social emotional learning, and they're all part of that um, school day, um, either before school, during, or even after school or in summer school. So um, looks a little bit different everywhere, um, but it's all based on the needs of, of each school. Okay, and you said there's a cost. So approximately how much does it cost? Uh, you guys, I know you said y'all can provide assistance, but on average, uh, if a site can absorb the cost, about how much would that, that be? Sure. So right now we're in a campus and we are grant funding um, the cost in one of our campuses. We are grant funding another campus they are funding. And so right now um, for that one campus for the entire year, it's running us about $30,000. Okay. And do you provide the staff and are they available during school as well as after school? We do. Um, we staff the space with our teaching artists. Um, these teaching artists are from our, our healing arts cohort. And so these teaching artists have really, really strong background in, in social emotional learning and healing arts. So we have a musician who's also a licensed professional counselor. We have a visual artist who's a certified art therapist. We have a healing artist who has a master's in education, but also a master's in social work and disaster resilience. And so the cohort that we use to teach um, in these sessions are just really highly trained in and skilled. So yes, we provide the staffing. And you mentioned that students can be referred. Um, can students also, if for whatever reason, they feel like they're having a bad moment, can they just walk in? And is there a limit for uh, how long they can stay in as well as the number of students that can visit the, the lab at one time? Sure, um, that comes down to, um, it, that's at the discretion of school leadership. And so it's really up to the principal to decide how they want to structure that self-care lab. We have some self-care labs that are freestanding and they have a, a pass system um, where all of the teachers on campus can write a pass at any time for those kids to go use that room. Um, and we have the room staffed with activities. We, and in times like that, we don't have more than 30 students in the room at a time. And then we have other campuses where the principals 
um, would rather have a structure set up and so they have a time window and the counselor and the wraparound specialist help us um, designate a schedule of which teachers are bringing their classes in to experience some structured social emotional learning and then we even have some time set aside for teachers to come in need some meditation time they need some work on affirmations they just need some sensory downtime maybe they need some yoga things like that um, we have time for teachers as well Great. I mean, I know sometimes there's a lot of resources available for, uh, you know, the youth and teachers are experiencing things themselves. And so I'm glad to hear that the educators also have access to it. Yes. One of our campuses is actually um, going to develop two self-care labs, one specifically for teachers and one specifically for students. And so that's that's exciting to us, too. I hope to see that become more commonplace in a lot of businesses. Uh, I know you said that this is the pilot year. Uh, approximately how many self-care labs do you currently have operating? And is there any plan for expanding this initiative? Sure. So this is our pilot year. So we are we are um, limiting ourselves to five self-care labs in our pilot year so we can really gather, collect, and study the data um, around the, the pilot year self-care labs so we can make improvements as we work to expand the initiative. Um, this initiative is, is definitely here to stay. Um, we have more requests for self-care labs than we can keep up with. Um, so we're looking to ex expand that in the next year so our, our data and our um, staff can support the expansion. But of course, we want to make sure we are prepared and ready to do so. So we'll be ready for an expansion in the fall of 2023. But right now we are we are concentrating on up to five self-care labs so we can study study those numbers and collect some data. Great, great. Um, what is the best way for anyone who would like to get more information regarding the self-care labs or um, getting access to some of the resources that young audience offers? Sure. Um, They're welcome to, to contact me directly. Um, they can talk, contact me via email. Um, it's just christine at yahouston.org. They can look up our website, yahouston.org. Our phone number is there, our emails there, our contact forms. You can talk to me directly. You can talk to anyone in our office about the self-care lab. They'll know exactly what you're talking about. And we'd love to, to just chat and share information or even set up a more informal, a more formal meeting if needed. But we're, we're always here and always willing to have those conversations. And I guess one other question just popped into my head since this is the pilot year. Um, have y'all noticed that students as well as staff are taking advantage of the self-care labs? They are, they are. And what's really unique about this process is that the students are involved in, in curating and creating the space. And so we really see students just taking a strong ownership of these self-care labs because they have created a physical space for themselves to learn and grow. And so the other day I went out to visit one of the self-care labs to drop by and we didn't have anything scheduled at that time, but there were some kids in there during lunch just relaxing. And I walked in and they, they were singing Let It Go from Frozen at the top of their <laughs> 12th grade students out at Cashmere High School. They were just happy, 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 just singing at the top of their lungs in there, just hanging out, eating lunch, um, relaxing, having a good time. So we, we love to see that. Great, great. Before we go, do you have any other comments you would like to share? 
Sure. So I wanted to mention um, some of the measurables and some of the goals, the things that we are tracking and the whole point behind the self-care lab. Um, just some of those things, of course, is to provide students with mental health support and best practices for wellness. But some of the things that, that we look for and that we're already tracking now are um, increased overall student graduation rates, increased student attendance rates, of course, student engagement and achievement. But we also track um, and have noticed already a decrease in truant um, and a decrease in referral and disciplinary action. And so we are already seeing an impact taking place from these self-care labs and, and we can't wait to see those, those numbers just grow and grow and become more positive. So I wanted to, to share that too. Great, great. Yeah, it sounds like y'all doing some uh, excellent work. When I, uh, I think it was a flyer or a newsletter and uh, we first saw it, one, we would like to have some of our staff just go to do a site visit. Uh, just to see kind of what they they look like. I think it's, it's great for students to have the opportunity to feel like they have ownership in, you know, their school or at least a spot in their school that they, they feel like reflects them. So I think these types of uh, programs are, are well needed and it's great to hear the young audience is uh, offering it as well as staff that is trained to handle whatever issues that the students might might deal with. Yes, and feel free to contact me anytime. I would be happy to set up a tour or bring somebody out to see programming. And and as we move to expand these self-care labs, they take place in more than just campuses. So they can take place in community sites or libraries or uh, or for staff at Harris County Department of Education. Right, right, right. Well, we'll definitely share um, uh, the information on these labs as well as uh, hopefully with the podcast so to get out in some of our other youth servicing agencies that you know have facilities or spots or so on or even want to uh, make a welcoming environment for their students you know hopefully they'll reach out to you wonderful wonderful well thanks so much for having me well, I appreciate you being my guest. And again, uh, I, I'm always uh, grateful for people. I know, you know, how work is. This has actually been a very busy week for me this week. So I love when, you know, I get the chance to chat with different people and hear the top, the types of services that are being offered to our youth. So again, thank you so much for, for taking some time. Of course, anytime. Thank you. Maybe after school. Cool. As always, I want to thank our listeners for joining us today, where our topic highlighted the efforts of young audiences of Houston Self-Care Labs initiative. Please join us for future episodes as we continue to explore issues relevant to the out-of-school time field.